Tuesdays have been great for the stock market, and today is... Oh, it's Wednesday. But you're in the right place because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt Kopenheffer. This is David Hansen. The Dream Team is back. The Dream Team is back. It's been a while. Back in action. It's Wednesday. David, Amazon, as you told me, this is old news. This is at least a couple hours old mm-hmm. at this point. Amazon cut a deal with HBO to get a whole bunch of HBO shows onto Amazon Prime. This is a big threat to Netflix. Disappointing news for you, though. No sex in the city. I know. It's sad. No sex in the city. I've got all the DVDs, though. Oh, you got Ray too. the whole... Actually... VHS as well. <laughs> in truth, I do own all of the sex... Why? I, not me. Well, my wife owns them all. You, including, sh- you share assets, so it's basically... Yeah. Including the first movie, not the second movie, which I heard oh. was not as good. Was there a third? I, come on. I hope so. Come on, you're, you're pushing me. Let's go to the first headline. First headline of the day comes from CNN Money, and the headline is, Stocks, Another Tuesday Surge, David, this year so far has been incredible Mm -hmm. if you're just investing on Tuesdays. If you're a day trader and you want to just play the market, do it on Tuesday. Right. Here's a little stat for you. 16 Tuesdays so far this year, 14 have been up days. The S&P 500 overall for the entire year is up 2.6% or at least was at the end of yesterday. Without Tuesdays, it'd be down 6%. Percent. The most ridiculous stat ever. That is a great one. That Where is, would the Tuesdays go? Why would they? You be just there? take them out. We get an extra. We get a day off. We've talked about finding we, patterns in the stars. This is you're finding. Patterns. But before you, wait, before you go there, would you take six percent down on the S and P for the year in order to get every Tuesday off so far this year? No, I like doing. I like doing Tuesday shows. Okay, it's a good day to do shows. Okay, is it? Okay, now the, the serious question, is this something that investors should be focusing on at all? No, it's 16 days. It's, That's nothing. Yes, but it's, you can't say that it's not weird. It is weird, but weird things happen. I mean, this isn't... Are you, do you find this strange, or do you think anything to this? I find it a little creepy. Don't, don't I find it a little creepy. Idea. I find it a little creepy that it's just Tuesdays. Because everybody's hungover on Monday. They're coming in. They're refreshed <laughs> on Tuesday. It's a good day. Everybody gets happy on Tuesday. Yeah, it's a good day. Okay, go, let's, let's go to the second headline. All right, second headline. This is, this is more real. <laughs> Airbnb set to argue against New York rental law probe. So we've got Airbnb versus New York. It's the attorney general, right? Mm-hmm. Fighting Airbnb. Eric saying Schneiderman. People are turning their homes in New York into hotels. And if you do that for a longer time than 30 days, I think, it's considered illegal. You've created a hotel. Interested? Well, look, I, I can see, I, I didn't think of this at first, but I can see why this can be concerning from the perspective that it's already so expensive to rent a place in New York, to yeah. live in New York. So if you can have people who are now saying, well, maybe I, I get a place and I'm a consultant or I'm somebody that travels a lot and I can uh, recoup a bunch of this by renting it out through Airbnb. Uh, then you give that person the ability to pay so much more for rent because they know that they'll have this this outlet for bringing in income to offset it. But maybe that's reasonable. I mean, maybe that's a good thing that they're able to do it. So there's there's two sides to it. Uh, What I find kind of interesting is that uh, you just had Warren Buffett talking up Airbnb on behalf of Berkshire Hathaway shareholders. So a little bit here you have hotel lobby, versus this upstart Airbnb, mm-hmm. 
And, uh, and Warren Buffett, mad about the way that hotels, you could say gouge or you could say take advantage of, of high demand during the weekend yeah. of Berkshire Hathaway's meeting. He, he's, he's angry about that. And so he said, you know, maybe next year we'll partner up with Airbnb. Did you get our house on Airbnb? I, I, did, I did not. I got it on VRBO oh, because that is, uh, that, is a home away prop, that is a home away company, which is a Motley Fool pick. There you go. And you, you had asked me this question before looking at Airbnb. It's not a public company yet. Right. It's been valued at, at $10 million. We don't know the details of their financials. But you said, would you rather own Airbnb or Hershey Hospitality? A, a, a REIT here who actually owns hotels, right. not someone who's just right. having the, the technology behind letting people switch out their rooms here. So owns, owns hotels with brands like Marriott, Hilton, Intercontinental. So Big hotels. These are, yeah, these are, these are reasonable brand name hotels. Hersha has a 4% dividend yield. So you've got sort of the established hotel industry versus the upstart Airbnb. Who are you investing in? I'm going to go with Hersha. You're going to go with Hersha? I am. I'm and actually pretty surprised about that. I, I don't like betting against these the new technologies that are that annoy people. So we've seen <laughs> Tesla annoys the, the some car dealers. Okay. Uh, Uber annoys the cab drivers. Oh, yeah, Airbnb anno- annoying the hotel industry here. But I think they have a better the hotel lobby, if you want to call it that has a better argument here than, than Uber drivers or, or car dealers. I think that's a legitimate concern, turning someone's house into a hotel without any oversight over that. So I'm going with the established company here. They own good properties, 4% dividend, like you said. I'm going with Hersha. I'm going Airbnb, hands down. And, and that's, that's with the understanding that you're probably, if Airbnb goes public, you're probably not getting anywhere near a reasonable valuation. Particularly right now, yes. you've got a lot of people talking about, a lot of major investors talking about, we're back in dot-com bubble 2.0. Einhorn, the latest one. Yeah, right? Einhorn. I was trying to think of who, who just said it. So you're not going to get a reasonable valuation. But if I think about the opportunity available there, uh, it's, it's pretty huge. And they are the first mover. They are the market leader. Not without challenges, not without that. I, I don't think it's an unreasonable challenge against them. But I think there's a lot of... And, and again, let, let's just go ahead and point out, now that I've said that, dot-com bubble two dot, or 1.0 versus 2.0. 1.0, nobody was making any money. We were all talking about price per eyeball or, or whatever it was, price per page view. Now these companies are actually making, making money. They, they have business models. So it, it is different this time around. Ooh, did Dangerous. I did I really just say did I really just say that? I'm gonna mark that down. <laughs> Marking. I can't believe I said down. that with a straight face. All right, let's go on to the. Oh, that's scary. Let's go on to the third headline. This is from Wall Street Journal. Citigroup shareholders approve leaders pay. I like the way they the leader the leader, <laughs> not the Citigroup, not the CEO, not Corbat, the leader. Um, pretty simple here. So, uh, Citigroup shareholders voted uh, say on pay. For Michael Corbett, voted in all of the directors. I mean, this is this is a I think a key vote of confidence for Corbett and the rest of the team. After what we had going on recently, you had the the scandal, the the fraud in Mexico, which doesn't reflect too well on on Corbett and his leadership team. And then you had the Fed reject, rejecting Citigroup's uh, CCAR plan. So I mean, it's it's been a pretty bad run for Corbett and mm-hmm. team. But here you have shareholders standing behind. Is this, is you think, this good? You, do you think it's just, you're a shareholder? Are you happy that he's still getting paid despite all these yep. issues? Yep. The more I the more I think about the the CCAR process, the fact that they were denied it, to me I don't think it's deserved here. 
he says going forward this year. You don't think the pay package is deserved? No, because he says going forward next year, our number one priority is passing the Fed stress test. <laughs> Why was that not the priority this year? This is a bank that investors are not expecting huge returns from this bank yet. Because the Fed only wasn't straight is, with them. The Fed wasn't straight with them. That's why. The, the Fed's always straight. Oh, oh yeah. The Fed is always straight. Don't talk about the Fed like that. <laughs> uh, you're not expecting big returns here. No one was saying, we want to see 15% return on equity from Citigroup. No one's asked that. Mm. All they had to do was clean up the mess and get in good graces with, with the regulators, and they failed to do that. So it's another year that in- we have to wait now to see what has what Corbett really done? In the outcome of the CCAR plan, in the outcome of, of Citigroup and the CCAR, I was more disappointed in the Fed than I was in Citigroup. What an apology. I was more disappointed in the Fed than in Citigroup. Look, why, why, is, why is Corbett, why are all of these, either they are grossly negligent, which I, don't, I, don't, I haven't heard people saying that they're grossly negligent because they were completely unprepared for that eventuality. And, and, and I think if the Fed had prepared them at all for saying, look, there's a good chance you are not going to – they're all going to be there. They're all going to be ready to address the situation. Instead, you have the entire Citigroup management team in the wake of that decision scrambling to, to put something out to investors and to respond to it. That's like a car that gets pulled over for speeding and they're like, you didn't tell me. That is not. They're like, we had five signs right there. It's, it's, like, it's like the police the police pull over the car and then start smashing the car in with, with sledgehammers. That's what they did to Citigroup. Disappointed in you. Let's move on. <laughs> let's, go, let's go to the focus. The focus for today, we're, we're doing a little bit of uh, getting our learn on here. And I wanted to, we've got a lot of, we've had a lot of proxies come out. This, the proxy is where they go into uh, some details around the, the management team, the directors. They give some bios. They give some uh, detail on compensation how, uh, how much executives are paid, how much directors are paid, and how they get to that compensation. So what I want to do is go through three yellow flags that you can find in proxy statements. I'm not saying these are red flags, but if you find them, uh, it's something that I would be aware, keep, of. be aware of, keep an eye on. So the first of these yellow flags is excessive director compensation. So there's a lot of a lot of focus that goes on how much the CEOs get paid, how much the rest of the management team gets paid. However, the director group uh, is, is very important. I mean, they're making all of these decisions around how much are the executives getting paid. They're the oversight team. And I think that they should be fairly compensated. They have a, they have a serious job to do. But let's, let, let, let's be honest here mm-hmm. about what their position is and what it isn't. And... And, and when a director team is getting paid too much, I think you end up with a, with a directorship that, can, that could be, reasonably, mm-hmm. more focused on hanging on to that directorship and that nice payday yes. rather than making the hard decisions that may, maybe need to be made. So one example here is Goldman Sachs. Maybe this isn't a surprising example that it's Goldman Sachs. But there are multiple directors at Goldman Sachs that in this recent proxy statement that it was reported that they were compensated more than $500,000 for their services as directors. That's rich. That is rich. That is rich. These are not full-time employees. These are guys that are, that, are, that are convening for a handful of meetings every year. Like I said, making important decisions for the company. But more than half a million dollars. And, and I'll contrast that with Wells Fargo. Much bigger bank than Goldman Sachs. Maybe you could argue it's not quite as complex, but a better performing bank right now mm-hmm. and arguably a better performing bank during the, the financial crisis. So these are directors that I would say have done a good job. 
nobody getting compensated more than 350k. Not not terribly surprising, but uh, I'm glad you classified these as as yellow flags. Yellow here. flags. Because I a lot with the pro- proxy, maybe even some red flag, oh, reddish, a reddish hue flag. Um, Orange. They're not total. They're not reasons to totally disregard right. the investment because if you have the attractive value and it kind of outweighs some of the eh stuff, then it can still be okay, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Well, I mean, I'm a shareholder of Goldman Sachs. It doesn't make me feel great, but I still think the value is it makes up for some of the things that I go. Eh, eh. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a shareholder as well, but it, it's it's just in that particular instance, it underscores one of my chief concerns about Goldman Sachs, and that it's that it's an organization that tends to focus a little bit more on compensating insiders, compensating employees, executives, directors in this mm-hmm. case, uh, as opposed to getting value back to shareholders. That's fair. Um, so let's move on to number two. Number two is uh, vague compensation determinations. So there's a, there's a section in the proxy called the compensation discussion and analysis. And in that, they detail, here's how we determine how much we're going to pay the CEO and the rest of the executive team. So really, I think it's a really important thing for, for investors to read. One of the, really should be at the top of the list, near the top of the list, in terms of the, the priorities when you're learning about a company. Because if you think about what a CEO is going to want to do, what motivates the CEO, a chief determinant of that, as Deep Throat said, follow money. Right. So, so what, how is he going to be well, That's for everybody, too. It's not just... Greedy CEOs. Everybody's going to try to hit the goals that are established. No, I'm not saying that it's about being a greedy CEO. I'm I'm saying it's it's about being... A human. A human, yeah, basically. Um, So one example of of where I found a yellow flag in this Mm -hmm. is in Discover. And and I have recently written some... I I recently bought Discover for my real money portfolio for uh, Fool.com, and I own it myself. Uh, So I'm obviously a fan of Discover overall, but a yellow flag here. Here's one... Here's a... What they say in the compensation discussion and analysis, they write, no single secondary factor metric was material to the committee's determination of any individual's compensation. Rather, the committee reviewed subjectively balanced and, and subjectively balanced these secondary metrics and net income in aggregate in determining individual compensation. Sounds a little jargony. It is a little jargony. But what it boils down to is they're basically saying, hey, we look at net income and we look at a bunch of other stuff. And then we kind of... Subjectively just, yeah, weigh it all. Yeah, we, just, we, we think about it, and, and then we decide what we, think is, what we think is fair. And in a perfect world, that's a fine way to go about things. In a perfect world, people are reasonable, and they can look at the, the totality of, of performance uh, mm-hmm. of an executive of a company and, and say, well, this is how much we think it's fair to pay you. But unfortunately, we don't live in a perfect world, and oftentimes compensation policies that aren't more prescriptive and aren't more detailed in how they get to it can go off the rails. And that's how you end up with executive teams that get paid for things that they shouldn't get paid for and get paid vastly too much. What is your third and final yellow flag? My third and final yellow flag, maybe my favorite. Related this is party, a red flag, the example that you have here, by the way. <laughs> the, the example I have here is a red flag, but this can be a yellow flag. Related party transactions shenanigans. Yes. Close to the end of the proxy statement, there's a section called Related Party Transactions. This goes into, let's say, for instance, a, a CEO's son gets hired in the mailroom mm-hmm. uh, of the company. And maybe, I guess he's not a chip off the old block. He gets hired in the mailroom. 
they would have to disclose that the son is, is employed by the company, uh, say that his compensation is reasonable for his position, whatever. Because it's a related right. party. So, and they don't have to be just like blood related, right? Right, right. It's, yeah. it's, it's uh, relationships, like right. any important relationships. This can be a red flag, though. Uh, some investors, this isn't a financial, uh, a financials or banking example, but many investors may remember Chesapeake Energy and the, the issues that it had with its former CEO, mm-hmm. Aubrey McClendon, before Carl Icahn came in and did his, his dirty work. Here, this is, this is a little lengthy, but I, I just, I love this so much. This goes back to 2009, the 2009 proxy statement. Here, here's some uh, snippets from Chesapeake's proxy statement in that related party Sniff transactions. Away. In December 2008, the company purchased an extensive collection of historical maps of the American Southwest from Mr. McClendon for $12.1 million, which represented his cost. Then, goes on, in 2008, the company became a founding sponsor of the Oklahoma City Thunder, a National Basketball Association franchise owned and operated by the Professional Basketball Club. Mr. McClendon has a 19.2% equity interest in that, in that franchise. Goes on, in addition, in 2008, the company paid Deep Fork Catering approximately $177,150 for food and beverage catering services, primarily for two large events sponsored by the company. Deep Fork Catering is an affiliate of the Deep Fork Grill, an Oklahoma City restaurant in which Mr. McClendon is a 49.7% owner. $177,000 for two catering events? Dang, there must be some good food. It must be. It must be. So, so those, are the, those are the kind of things that you want to look out for where the yellow flag becomes red flag, but the related party transaction section is something that you want to tune into. Awesome. Awesome indeed. All right, let's go on to the game for today. The game for today is a little bit of rank it. Yeah. And for our rankings today, we're going to banking CEOs. Uh, we're going to rank our top five favorite banking CEOs among, the, we'll say, the biggest banks. I dipped out from the, from the biggest. I cheated a little bit. Did you really? Yeah. I didn't you know cheater. the rules. Oh, all right. I'm gonna all right. Well, let's go. Now. All right. Well, let's let's see. Let's see your list. Let's Here's see your, my list. See your cheating list of rankings here. Number one, got George Gleason. Oh, who's George course, Gleason? Of course you. Of course you do. That is the CEO of uh, Bank of the Ozarks. I don't know how Matt left him off his rankings. He must have been only looking at the big guys. That's that's negligent right there. Uh, CEO since 1979, had an amazing run. Book value growth, astronomical. Oh, amazing. I know. All right. Number two. I had uh, Richard Davis. And then number three, David Nelms. You mentioned Discover. Maybe his compensation isn't the best in terms of how it's determined, but he's been a great CEO since Discover One Public has taken him in multiple directions. Very good uh, standing there. And then I got Bill Demchak at PNC uh-huh. and finishing off with Lloyd Blankfein. We talked about Goldman Sachs, but Lloyd Blankfein, of the Wall Street CEOs, I feel very comfortable that he knows what he's doing there. You threw Nelms in there. I did. It's interesting that you're... Go, already calling Discover a bank. It is a bank. Yeah, it's, it's going in that direction. Yeah. It's still mostly a credit card. All right, let's go ahead and see, see my list. My list we got here. Richard Davis is number, number one over at U.S. Bancorp. I think he's done a, a fantastic job. I didn't, I didn't go to the, the tiny guys, to the Bank of the Your Ozarks, fault. which I told you about. Number two, I, I'm going with Lloyd Blank by number two. I think he's done an excellent job at Goldman Sachs. It's been a difficult time for Goldman Sachs, both from a... Uh, a financial crisis perspective, that was a difficult time. But then coming out of the financial crisis, it's been a very difficult PR environment for Goldman Sachs. And I think Blank Fine has done well with that. Number three, I've got uh, John Stumpf 
of Wells Fargo. Four, Bill Demchek, who you mentioned from PNC. And number five, my boy, Jamie <laughs> He's your the boy. Hair Diamond. We're boys. We hang out. When I go to New York, we go out. We have get your hair done together. Drinks at the. I, you know, I don't even know what the fancy clubs are in New York, like the like the c- cigar Jay-Z's clubs or whatever. Club? No, like the cigar, like the cigar and whiskey mm-hmm. clubs, that sort of thing. The Ivy League club. Did Jamie Diamond go to Ivy League school? I have no idea. I did, so maybe I can get him in. I think he did. We, we can say hang, he went to. We can hang out at the Penn is Club. Tufts Ivy League. No, I think Sorry. he went to Tufts. All right, Jamie Diamond, number five. I think, I think, despite all all else, that he's done a good job there. Okay. We do indeed have a email address. Mm-hmm. That email address is wtmi at fool We love to get emails. We love to get questions to that email address. And the question for today, David, comes from Carl. You want me to read it? Yes. Go ahead. He says, "Am I being foolishly fearful or foolishly lowercase gun shy?" From 2008 to 2012, I had no problem being greedy when others were fearful to the point I was investing my plan deposits on margin. I know, lowercase foolish, not uppercase foolish. But over the last year and a half, between collecting my dividends, deposits, and income from selling covered puts for stocks, I, want to own, I, I find myself with almost 30% cash. I think the market is fairly valued, but I keep thinking there are better deals to be had. Thoughts? Carl sitting on 30% cash. We don't know his... Circumstance, his age, his risk tolerance, time to retirement. But if you had 30% cash, I don't know if you do, maybe you do right now, how are you thinking about things? I do not have 30% cash. But right, we can't, we're, we're not going to give individual advice to Carl. But, but I think the, the general question here boils down to, do you invest into this market right now, or do you hold cash back and wait? And I, th- I, think, in this, I, I think in this market... I'll separate it into two groups of people. So there's one that's maybe not the, not the focused investor and more the passive investor who is doing dollar-cost averaging into low-cost uh, index funds. And for that investor, don't worry about it. We're, we're not anywhere near a point mm-hmm. where you need to be freaking out about the market levels, continue dollar-cost averaging into low-cost index funds. For the investors who are investing in individual stocks, I think it's all about can you find opportunities that are, that, that are meeting a returns threshold that, uh, that excites you, <laughs> that you think is worthwhile. I think there are still opportunities out there. It's getting harder to find them. The yep. market continues to go up. We're only up 2.5% this year, but the market has had quite a run. It's getting harder to find better opportunities. But I'll continue to say, I think within the financial uh, sector, there continues to be better opportunities than elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that Morgan Housel talks about is don't look at your cash as valueless. That does have value. You have mm-hmm. the ability to use the cash when you want to buy something. If stocks go down, you can buy more. So don't think about your cash as a horrible thing sitting in your, your brokerage. And I'm going to annoy our listener, Mike V, by saying that I think it's becoming more of a stock picker's <laughs> market in the fact that I don't think you can just go buy the companies that you see everywhere and that are obvious. But I think if you kind of dig deep, find some undercovered stocks, there's, there's always going to be value. It's always a stock picker's market, David. It's always, it's always a stock picker's market. But if, you, if you go to the undercovered, I mean, go back to Ben Graham, Peter Lynch, the stocks that people aren't talking about, that nobody cares about, I think you can Pick off the top value. of your head that you think still has good value today. J.P. Morgan. That's not an undercovered stock, but I'm going to go with it. And <laughs> I'm going to stick with your financials theme. Citigroup. All right. All right. Uh, finishing off in the Twitter sphere, David, what is the first tweet? First tweet is from WSJ Markets, at WSJ Markets. No one to take on the Oracle? 
Buffett says he can't find a bearish analyst for the annual meeting. Brendan Matthews and I were talking about this yesterday and how Doug Cass's case against Berkshire last year was kind of meh, wasn't good, nobody was really impressed. Can't even find anyone to do it this year. I, th- I, I don't blame him. It's, it's hard. But to the f- stock's much higher this year than it was last year. Yeah, but it's still, what, what is it, 1.3 times book value? I mean, that's, that's hardly. So, so on a valuation basis, you can't really go super bearish against it. Why, w- with everything else out there, with, with all the concerns about a dot-com bubble, why are you going to go after, why are you going to worry about going after Berkshire Hathaway at what's not even, maybe fairly valued at best? Mm-hmm. So why are you going to do that? And then, and then pick apart the operating businesses. And there's I think, not a, there's not I think good... Buffett was looking for someone who was actually short, who had evidence of a short position. Mm-hmm. And to that, I mean... And I think you need sober reasoning, too. That would, yeah, it would be very interesting. That discounts short. a lot of people, I think. Discount. But I was, I'm kind of disappointed. I was, I was looking forward to hearing. The I hope they do find somebody, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 Got one week and counting here. It is, it is kind of scary when there is no bear case because then, then bullish investors like me have to start to worry, is there something that we're overlooking that we're missing here? Indeed. Second tweet. Second tweet comes from... Uh, w, uh, the AP. <laughs> this is from the AP. Uh, breaking U.S. new home sales drop 14.5 percent in March, worst sales rate in seven months. Seven months, David. Woo! Seven months. Are you freaking out? Was it cold in March? Is that was, the excuse? Yeah, it was pretty chilly. I, I don't know if that's a, the excuse, but it's pretty chilly. So new home sales have been a sliver of good news in the past. We've got a chart here. We're still well above in terms of new home sales where we were during 2000. 2011, most of 2012 here, you can see March there. So much lower than it was in the middle of 2013 and most of 2013. Um, but something to keep an eye out of. We talked about mortgages on, on Monday and there seems to be a lot going on in the housing market now in terms of interest rates going, moving up, prices moving higher, the weather. We'll see. Here's, here's the bottom line when it comes to, to, to housing, in my view at least, is what, what hasn't changed is babies are being born and then they get older and then at some point they move out of their parents' house. Some. And then <laughs> some. And, and then they have to go and get a home for themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's a process that continues to happen. And in addition, people continue to move to, to emigrate to the U.S. So, or immigrate to the U.S. I probably said that wrong, and somebody's totally going to call me out on that. <laughs> Please. But there, there is continual growing demand for housing stock in the U.S. And we're either going to see that in the rental market or in the, or in the, the housing sales market numbers, but one way or the other, we're going to have a need for more housing. People do tend to live in structures. <laughs> yes. We will see. With roofs. Yes. All right, final tweet of the day. This is from the Wall Street Journal at WSJ. How electronic implants that dissolve into the body can be used to track your health. We have a picture of this thing here. That's cool. So it dissolves into your body and then tracks your your blood sugar. That's way cooler than a Fitbit, I gotta say. I know. I just got this Fitbit, <laughs> and I'm like, great. <laughs> this is old already. news. Old news. You're so behind. What the was time the first thing. one we saw? It was like a contact. That oh goes yeah. In your eye. That gives you bionic vision. This is like the next thing. Oh, they have a thing that goes onto your contacts too, and it can monitor, monitor like glaucoma or something. I like that, but you just rub it on your skin like a temporary tattoo. Yeah, henna. There you go. All right, well, that's the show for today. Uh, you can find us on iTunes if you're not already listening to us on iTunes. Uh, give us a rating if you're, if you're listening. Help everybody else uh, figure out why this is a great show to listen to. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter at TMF Financials. 
I'm Matt Kopenheffer. This here is David the Henneman Hansen. We'll see you tomorrow. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.